listening to a message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. If you'd like to know more about Red or its ministries, please go to redchurch.org.au. We have been in a series called More Than Me Every Day, which we're really looking at how does God and the Spirit operate in our everyday life. This is a really important topic. Um, We can hear about theology and we can hear about biblical teaching, but this is the question of the fact that the Holy Spirit, which came at Pentecost moved into the church, transforming people who were a sort of confused group of disciples into an empowered group of apostles. How does the Spirit want to move amongst us and transform us? So we've been looking at this in really practical ways, and just in praying about tonight and and today, and what I'll be preaching over this week, um, I wanted to, like, Ask God what he wanted to speak in. And he said something really interesting, which I didn't expect him to say, but I thought, wow, that's really important. And this is why God's in charge, not me. Um, And I felt that what he wanted to say tonight was something which I've actually had to learn to do. This is not something that has come natural to me. But God has developed this in me over a long period of time. So I'm really excited tonight to talk about building a culture of worship. Building a culture of worship. Now, when we talk about culture, culture actually comes from the word worship. Culture comes from the word cultus. Uh, Cultus comes from like Latin for like to sort of do farming and to worship. The words, two words are linked. So you've got this idea of worship, but you've also got this idea of tending something, of regularly doing something, of tending a garden. And worship is like that. Worship is something which needs to be tended. It's something that you continually do, but out of it, good things spring. And so really, I'm excited in talking about this topic tonight because At times when God does renewals, and it's really important to know, I think I said this last week, that the mode that we're in is not regular when it comes to church, but the mode that we're in is renewal. At this moment where God wants to spring a new and surprising thing in the church, at a moment when many people feel that its future may be questionable, these are the exact kind of movements when God springs something new, is one of the key things of moments of renewal is that God does new things in worship. Worship goes from something being dry and religious or empty or even bonkers crazy, and God brings it to that middle place where spirit and word come together, where people are transformed and Heaven comes to earth. Worship is standing in the overlap between heaven and earth in the thin places. So what I wanted to do tonight is first of all explain to you why we do worship. Now some of you will have a whole variant of experiences around doing worship. Now, some of you have no experience of worship at all. Tonight, we're going to be talking about how you come to church. And by worship, I'm talking like the whole bunch of stuff we're doing tonight, singing, fellowshipping together, listening to the Word, allowing the ministry of the Holy Spirit, taking communion, all this stuff that we do, which is not just confined to a Sunday. This isn't just a sales pitch for Sundays. This is the way of the people of God living in those thin places. Now, some of you are new 
you've not been to church before, this is new for you, that's fine. You can walk around like someone checking out a new rental property and, you know. I, you know, you see guys doing that. It's plaster. Um, I sort of, you know, and you look around, you feel a bit, yeah, it's a, it's a good roof. Um, where was I going with that? I said the comedy didn't end when I started um, but also what can happen is, sometimes in worship, that can be us when you've been living in the property for several years. And so tonight is an invitation. If you're new and you're checking out Banging the Walls, that's absolutely fine. But this is an invitation to actually inhabit the space that God has given us, to understand why we need to build a culture. And I believe that God is calling at this moment, for every service at Red, I gave this 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 sermon this morning at the 10 a.m. I'll be giving it next week at our 10 a.m. Kilsyth congregation, that in every one of our congregations and services, all Red Church, all with their own little unique things, because different people come to them and they're different times and different places, but in each one of them, God is wanting to do something new in worship. He is wanting to create red hot centers of faith where people feel the Holy Spirit. Out of such places does He build new things. And for me, I grew up in a very smallish, traditional Baptist church as a kid. For me, worship has been this fascinating thing, which for many years I didn't understand. I remember hymns, I've had different experiences, I've done house churches, I've done creative worship churches, I've been to larger charismatic churches, I've been to traditional churches, I've had a whole variant of experience of worship, but only recently I think I've clicked as to what God is doing through worship and why it's so important. For me, I had this real desire to do mission to actually communicate this sense of God's love for people and what He was doing and what He wanted to say to people, His love for them, what He did on the cross. And for me, I underestimated the importance and the symbiotic relationship between that and worship. So what I wanted to do is, just to preface this, I wanted to get you to open your Scriptures And we're going to turn to Psalms, we can actually turn to Psalm 25, in front of you, sorry, 27, in front of you, uh, you have uh, some Bibles that are maroon, Uh, and we're going to turn to Psalm 27, verse 4, Psalm 27, verse 4. This is a Psalm by King David. King David was a man after God's heart. King David came after the reign of a king called Saul, who had actually been called by God, but walked away from God. There were times when he had the Spirit, but other times when actually he chose his own power, doing things in his own strength. And in verse 4, it says this. This is David speaking. This is his worship. This is his song. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only thing do I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. For in the day of trouble, He will keep me safe in His dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of His sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. 
Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. This is the heart of a worshiper. This is the heart of someone who realizes all he can do and achieve for God is centered on a heart relationship between him and the Lord. When we hear of David defeating his enemies, bringing the ark back to Jerusalem, we have this incredible image of this king going forward, in this moment of triumph for his nation, not so much thinking about himself, but we have this beautiful image of him getting his people to be involved in worship, of sacrificing, this incredible image where he comes forward and what he does is he goes ahead of the ark returning to Jerusalem and he dances, dances before the Lord in his linen ephod which is biblical language for his undies, equivalent of his underpants. Now, it's not exactly, that's not the best translation, but that's what equivalent was. Here was someone who centered his reign and everything that God did was built around the fact that he worshipped with abandon. To the point where one of his wives actually comes to him and says, you've humiliated us. She says, you're dancing around half naked like a fool. And he says to her, I will dance with abandon for the Lord. Because what centered his life and that one man's act of worship actually built a culture of worship which was at the center of Israel. He was worshiping with the whole of his life, everything he had, because that was the kind of rule that God wanted to build things upon. And it points to the kind of worship that we would actually see in the life of Jesus. The great things of God are built on a heart of worship. So many of the great renewals and revivals of history sprung from a moment of heartfelt worship. So I just wanted to just talk a few key points because some of us don't understand what is the point of this thing we're doing, taking communion, kneeling, singing, praying, hearing God's word, responding to the spirit. What is the purpose of these things? One of the first things, and David understood this, is that worship is the acknowledgement that we can't do it, but that he can. We worship And we come in here, capable people. There are people in this room with degrees, with skills, with intelligence, with different proficiencies. Maybe you're skillful with your hands. Maybe you're skillful with your heads. People can do all kinds of things. But when we come in here, we, in a sense, put those things down. Not that they're useless. God wants us to use them. But when we worship, we acknowledge that he can do it and we can't do it. This is why our mission, what we're doing with Alpha, we've got Alpha in two uh, locations coming up this week. We've got Kilsyth and we've got Blackburn, which was just spoken about. All these different people, people have questions coming from different cultural backgrounds coming. We cannot do that without the support 
of a worshipping heart where we're praying and singing God's praises. When we come here, we're saying to God, God, we cannot do it. And not just the projects of church that we cannot do, but we actually can't do the stuff of our lives without Him. We want Him to come, so we acknowledge Him as we worship. Now, that's a challenge in our day because worship was central to what David did. Worship should be central to what anyone who follows God does. But our age is rigged to steal our time. The great heist of our day. Britt just mentioned that line that we're very good at tithing to Spotify and Netflix. We're also very good at sacrificing our time to endless distractions. Never before has the levels of time stealing. The CEO of Netflix um, recently said that the frontier for her, I think her company, was actually taking people's sleep. That they realized that the one area that people weren't using in the entertainment field was actually people's sleep hours. So the system is rigged. When it's bedtime, you've got work the next day, five seconds, next episode, skip the intro, click, click, and all of a sudden, the realm of your sleep is one to actually be invaded all around you, stealing time. However, when we worship, we recapture time. Worship at this point in time, in an age of time stealing, is actually a countercultural rebellious act where we steal back time. And we don't just steal it back to be more awesome and achieve more stuff, which lots of self-help hacky articles ask us to do. No, we actually do something. We steal that time back, but we realize that we're not the God of time, and we actually offer it back to God as a sacrifice. We offer it back to God as a sacrifice. And when we do this, we reset our life clocks. Every person in this room has a life clock. How you view time, how your time is set, how you spend your hours, your days, your recreation, your work time, your socializing, your sleep, your eating, how many years you'll live, all these things can be set by a way of looking at things that can be driven by earth, by the world. But when we stand in this thin place between heaven and earth, yes, we still are existing in time. But that time is transformed and our personal settings all of a sudden have the eternal setting. When we do something here, time, we're here for an hour, sorry, two hours or whatever it is. But also when we're here, we're connected to the fact that as the international dateline moves across the world over the next 24 hours, already people in places like Samoa and Tonga and New Zealand are worshipping. Above us, people in places like Indonesia, South Korea, it will go across the world. And all of those people which are joining with God in praise, it also means that international incidents, which other people can just look at the news and be afraid of or worry about, we can actually intercede and pray for. We're actually connected to what God has done in the past, what He's doing now, His presence is with us, and what we're doing in the future. When we worship, we step into an eternal setting, which changes how we view the time that we currently have. What else does worship do? Worship does something essential. 
Every day I take, particularly in winter, I've been fighting really hard to not get a cold this winter. That's my goal. And I've been taking every day like vitamin C with garlic and echinacea. So apologies if I speak to you afterwards. But I need, we need nutrients and vitamins. There's elements where we need them every day. But what we also need, scriptures tell us, without vision, the people perish. You can have all of the different material things in the world. You can be surrounded by options. But what starves humans is not just the lack of air, not just the lack of water, not just the lack of food, but actually humans are starved by the lack of meaning, the lack of direction, the lack of purpose and understanding of where we are going. Worship builds vision. When we sing these songs, when we read these scriptures, when we recite these psalms, when we pray these prayers, it connects us to what God is doing in our futures. It reminds us of God's purposes for us. It's a magnificent disruption when David brings the ark back to the Jerusalem, to its house, to its home. He gets all of these different people to clash cymbals and blow shofars. It's this incredible noise. If you were a, an Israelite who has come from the, the, the farming communities or you'd be in Jerusalem, all that sound, all that noise is this incredible disruption. And worship should be a disruption to our patterns that are purposeless. Worship is something that reconnects us to God's purposes. That's why we need to do it often and do it regularly. And what worship does is it disrupts, it changes things. It is actually something as David used it. What the different nations would do around Israel is they would go into battle with their idols in front of their armies. When David brings back the ark. He's not bringing back an idol. He's bringing back something which symbolizes God's presence. When Israel went out of Egypt, ahead of them was actually the presence of the Lord going before them. This reminds us that worship is spiritual warfare. Intercessory, which means praying for other people, air support for God's mission in the world. What we do here changes things. It changes atmospheres. It changes postures. This is a way of fighting God's battle for him. Praise is a weapon that defeats a spirit of melancholy and heaviness. When we praise, that's how we fight battles, as the song tells us. So we need this kind of warfare to do what we need to do. Again, not just for the church, but for your individual lives as well. Wisdom also, so worship also builds wisdom, reconnecting us to God's ways, freeing us from unwise living. When we come together, we're reminded that God actually has a way to live. We hear his purposes told and how we're meant to live them out. Worship reminds us who God is, who we are in him, and how the world will be remade. You need constant reminders of who you are, what God is doing in you. This is why Hebrews tells us to not 
give up the habit of meeting together as some already in the early church are falling out of the habit of coming to church, to meeting and to worship. This is a reminder of how the world will be remade. As I just said, worship changes atmospheres. It changes our postures. It reconnects us with our calling. So, that's what worship does. So, if you're coming and you're coming to Red Church, if you're visiting from another church, if you're listening on the podcast, how do you worship well? How do you step into what God is doing? How do you build a worship culture? Now, one of the things that I have done a lot in the last 12 months and quite a bit over the last few years as someone who's written books and then has traveled around doing ministry in in various places around the world is that one of the things that you do is you spend a lot of time eating alone in restaurants. You go somewhere and you speak all day and you're quite tired and you may be at a hotel or you go to a restaurant, you find somewhere and at first it's sort of like weird but then it actually becomes absolutely fascinating. Why? Because it's an incredible observational research project Really, there's a couple of things that happen in restaurants. You have groups of friends, and they're, they're happy. They're doing their thing, joking and talking. And you've got, you know, some families and stuff, and you've got people like me just having a meal by themselves. But then what you have in restaurants everywhere, particularly when you're on a ministry trip and it's Valentine's Day, is you have people on dates. So fascinating. <laughs> so fascinating. Um, to see this too in different cultures, absolutely fascinating. Now, sort of the gold standard, we have this gold standard idea. You know, particularly two people coming on a date, sharing a meal together. It's not just about the food. It's really this idea of intimacy and connection and love and relationship. So sort of the image, the gold standard image is this. You know, they're into the wine. They haven't, he hasn't even finished his first course, but... They're just feasting on love, looking deep into each other's eyes. It's like, I don't know if they're married, but they should get married again if they already are. And if not, you know, just pull out the ring now, buddy. They are like, they're in love. This is cherishing each other. Now, in my research, in many restaurants, watching people as you sit there and you're like, you don't want to just eat. Like sometimes I've just eaten because I eat it quick at home. And it's like, oh, that was 10 minutes. I can't get up now. I'm going to upset the waiter. So you just sit there, eat slower, have dessert, watch the people on dates. Um, now, this represents like, you know, I'm, I'm totally spitballing this. This represents 3% of dates that I see. The overwhelming mode of a date that I see looks like this. <laughs> this is your date. The person on the phone and the other person. Now, to be honest, it's not so much like this. It's actually two people on a phone. My record, I was, I was in the US for Valentine's Day, and I think I counted, it was like four minutes, and I think I counted like 13 tables where no one spoke for like four minutes. I'm like, okay, I'm on board. I'm, I'm, 
having lots of meals by myself and you're like, is anyone going to talk? And you're like, all these people dolled up and you look across the restaurant like, no one's talking. How long can they go for? I have to amuse myself somehow. Um, <laughs> but this thing like you're on dates, like you're meant to be in love, you know, like what's going on? You know, it's not this thing. It's, it's not none of that. It's two people looking at a phone. But in a sense, when I looked at this image, it actually said something that I think is indicative of our moment when it comes to worship. Uh, in January, um, I went on one of these mission, uh, these ministry trips. Uh, my brother Glenn came with me, and uh, on the way there, Glenn was a little bit ill and um, was stuck in a very large Jamaican uh, tour group um, who were going to uh, get on a, like I think a cruise. Um, and they weren't feeling, he wasn't feeling well, but it was brilliant to see just these various older Jamaican women around him trying to press, turn the video on, all that sort of stuff. So wasn't super comfortable. So he, he went to the back of the plane, and at the back of the plane, because he went to stand up, was a group of um, Hasidic Orthodox Jews. And what they were doing was they were praying, and they had their hats on, and their various clothes that they wear, and their... their um, prayer shawls and all this stuff and they had their sort of prayer books and they're doing what they're doing which is I think it's called genuflecting is that the correct term and they're just praying out loud and they're doing this and but they weren't just doing it. I mean they're doing it I'm going to hit the lectern if I do it I saw them Glenn came back to me he's like I'm sick but the Jewish guys at the back of the plane they are absolutely rocking like they were just like yeah, they're just absolutely going for it and what's so interesting is when you see this because pretty much, like you've got people from different races and ethnicities and countries in an airport, but everyone's wearing sneakers and jeans these days. Everyone pretty much looks the same. Everyone's got like, you know, Apple, you know, earphones in and is looking at tablets and got the same backpacks from Heschel or whatever. You know, the world's come pretty normal. So when you see people like a community, like Orthodox Jewish people who are doing this, it's strange. It seems unusual. And so you see them up at the back of the plane. I had a look, and they're rocking, they're praying their way across the Pacific. And it's so interesting, because when we see something like that, you know, in being that community, it's almost what some people think. They're brainwashed into it a little bit. They've been raised like that. That's all that they know. They study Torah all day. They study Torah till late at night. And that's just what their little sort of brainwashed community believes. That's what some people will, would, how they'd explain that. They're strange, they're different, they act that different way because they've been shaped like that. And if you're doing that, you get yourself almost into a trance and there's something happens in your brain and that's really what's going on and the elation they feel, it's just this thing because they're being repetitive. But what's so interesting is you've got this long dreamliner fuselage and up the back are these Hasidic guys, eight or whatever, doing this at the back of the plane. And you look at that and you say, oh, they're just forming themselves in this way. But then you turn and you look down the fuselage of the plane and you see 300, 400 people all sitting and staring at screens. Exact same formation things which also rewire our brains. Not doing this, but just sitting, pressing, consuming. We always are engaged in forms of worship. 
You're never not engaged in a pattern of worship. There's no neutral. There's no stepping back and not stepping into worship. By not stepping back and not stepping into worship, you're still in a pattern of worship, which is the Western view of like, I'm just going to sit back and try and have a foot in both camps and I'll work it all out and then maybe I'll jump in if I agree. Eugene Peterson said in his book, a long obedience uh, in one direction, that what we think often in the West which he calls a culture of sensation is that worship works like this. I will have, I'll be watching and then I'll have some feeling and then I'll jump into it. I'll be at the concert, in other words, and when they get to the song I really like, then as people around me do something, then I'll step into it. I'll be at the sporting game and when there's a goal or point scored, then I'll jump up when everyone else does it. Responding to a feeling or at the movie, I'll clap at the, the climactic scene when everyone else does. We think feeling will then determine how I act. What Peterson says is that with worship, it's actually the opposite. The biblical imagination doesn't emerge from a feelings-based culture that's based on sensations, where we look at the world and we want to be stimulated by sensations all the time. The biblical world actually says, act first. Step forward. Act. Be formed. Everything is formation. Worship is choosing what you're going to be formed by, rather than just passively being formed by those people who want to steal your time and your attention. And as I said, we've never lived at a time like this when people want to steal our time and attention. So just a couple of pointers then. How do you worship well? What sort of culture do we need to build here at Red? What sort of culture we need to build here in the 5 p.m. service? Well, the first thing is really, really key. Because often what we think about worship is we get here and then we think it sort of begins maybe as the second song as we sort of warm up. But the first thing about worship is understanding that worship always begins with a choice. You must choose what you worship. You must choose what you worship. So first, we must choose to offer your presence and your time. This is our sacrifice. Ryan spoke last week and he spoke about the breakfast that he'd been to. And he talked about the fact that he went to this breakfast, he's in the building construction um, industry, and there were people advocating for the use of wood in new buildings, that wood and natural elements that's been proven now lower our heart rates and make us calmer. And they're this thing where they're saying like, you know, let's do this because it actually, you know, makes cancer patients heal better um, when they're around these wood structures. One thing Ryan didn't say in the sermon, which he told me during the week, was that one of the main reasons that they're trying to sell this that they're trying to sell wood is because the Australian economy has got two key issues that employers are trying to face. He said the first one is absenteeism. Absenteeism is when people simply are paid to do a job, but they don't turn up. That costs, I think Ryan said, um, $2 billion to the Australian economy. People who are paid to do a job, but just don't turn up. Not because they're sick or... They've got a, a leap. They just don't show up that day. And absenteeism is a huge 
challenge to the next renewal that God wants to do in the church. A huge, huge challenge. When we just choose to turn up, we actually, before we come, start worshipping. When I say, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there, hail, rain, or shine. I'm going to turn up. That's when worship actually begins. It could be a week earlier, the night before, that morning. When we choose, that's the first act of worship. The second thing that Ryan said, which is really interesting, was the bigger problem than absenteeism is actually the issue of what is called presentism. I'm like, what the heck is that? Presentism costs the Australian economy $20 billion dollars. So many times more, 10 times more than absenteeism. And what presentism is, is people who are at work and they have absolutely checked out. These are the people who are on solitaire. These are the people who you see and they're there. They're being paid to do a job. They've been trained to do a job. They have a role to function and do. But actually, they're just there. And they're like the people on the, the dreamline are just watching the screen. They're in body, but not spirit. When we choose to come to worship, to participate in the community of God, we don't just gift Him our time, we also gift other people our presence. We gift other people our presence. See, you think, oh, I just went to this thing tonight. If you are, as Scripture says, created in the image of God, if you are, as Jesus said, when someone gives to someone even just a cup of water, you're giving that to Jesus. God was incarnate in the world. You represent the image of God. When we are not here, through absenteeism or just here, but how we're checked out, we actually rob people of the presence of God. The converse of that, the brilliant thing of that, is when you choose to turn up, when you choose to offer time, when you choose to be here, even just smiling at someone, saying hello to someone, serving, worshipping, singing, interceding for someone, offering someone a cup of tea, just turning up. When you do that, you're gifting them with the presence of God. The presence of God, yes, it is the Holy Spirit moving amongst us. It's that thing that we do feel when we step into worship, but also it's just you being here, embodying God's will in the world. When we choose, we come and we choose to focus. We say no to the culture of constant distraction, being engaged. If we go back to those date pictures, we'll just go back. What's the difference between that and that is that is a photo of absolute distraction. There is no relationality or love. Nothing's going to happen between this couple. We're guessing from the stock photography. But here... I don't know, I'm sensing it. kids coming. Something is coming. <laughs> Something is coming. Because from intimacy and relationality, things are born. That's how God created it. And when we focus, Mary Oliver, the American poet, said, attention is the beginning of devotion. When we adore God, 
and just make him our focus, meditating upon him, putting him at the front of our focus. When we come here and leave behind what we've brought, when we step out of the me and step into the corporate we of worship, that's when God wants to birth something in the world. So when we worship, we praise God, and it's not a passive thing. Engaged worship is the seeking of his presence. This is David. As I read before, David, who is seeking the Lord, seeking his presence, wishing to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That space where worship is where history ends. In the end of book of Revelations, we have the people of God praising God day and night. That's where history's going. When we worship, we don't just do the Christian carp. I was good at that. I was so good at that for many years, managed to make myself look like I was singing when I wasn't for many, many years of my life. But then I realized that actually when we worship, we contend for God's kingdom and we stand in the gap. We stand in the gap. Worship is a two-way thing. It needs us and God, the circle of praise and Him receiving that and Him lavishing His love upon us. We contend for God's kingdom to move. When we do what we're doing now, we hear and we receive the Word of God. We do that proactively. We don't just sit back with a spirit of criticism. Rather, we have a spirit of discipleship, realizing that the Word of God wants to encourage and grow us. That's how we engage with the text. One of the killer moves, I was recently asked what has been one of the biggest things. I was interviewed in the UK for this conference in this video, and they said, what's one of the biggest things that has turbocharged your Christian life in the last few years? And like, I had to think on the spot, like, wow. And my answer was taking notes. I take notes from my Bible. I take notes in sermons. I take notes when I'm reading. When you're taking notes, you're actually engaged in what's actually happening. And when we move into what we're going to move after this, we proactively move into the space of receiving the ministry of the Spirit. God forbid that wherever the church where the service en- the sermon ends and it's just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. When the, ser- when the sermon ends, that's when we ask the Spirit to actually move amongst us. And it's a time when we receive, but also we can participate praying for people. Now in Israel, the great prayer was the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord God is one. And hearing that God is one, that He is the Lord, must be met with the sense of obedience. We obey His word, acting as His agents in the world. Worship always leads to a response, call and response, hearing and obeying. And then we allow the patterns of worship to form our lives. The final bit, of that passage in Corinthians where where David has this incredible moment where he's going ahead of the presence of God. He's dancing in his undies. There's all cymbals and trumpets. And verse 43, then all the people left. This is 1 Corinthians 16, verse 43. Then all the people left for their own home and David returned home to bless his family. What we do here is not separate from what we do at home, what we do in the car. Here is actually the practice for actually what happens out there. This is to form us in the patterns of worship, how to see the world, our homes, our cars, our inner 
living temples inside of us are places of worship. So there's a challenge. The challenge is, what if this time, in this 5 p.m. service, we pushed in and worshipped in an engaged way, understanding that at this moment, we're just not on regular, that this is a moment where God wants us to build something different and create a culture where actually it's a thin place where people walk in the door and are struck by the Holy Spirit they were the way that they were in places like the Hebridean revival. This is a moment where you need each other to contend. We can fall into a pattern where it's just passively, anxiously looking at each other, or we can step forward proactively and say, I'm going to fight for the people left and right, behind and in front. I'm going to actually fight for God's purposes and what He wants to do for me. I'm going to remember who I am and call to be in Jesus. Jesus. This is something not only that we should do, it's something that we can do and it's something that we will do. So let's stand now and let's move into that time where we've heard the word, but now for the word to move amongst us. We now have an opportunity to respond to God to worship. So how are we going to begin? Before we even move to having prayers come forward, before we even move to having any kind of response. Let's actually just begin by worshiping God, singing out to Him, praising Him, creating a new culture of worship amongst us.